I'm out of the way enough for the sound person to be able to get you guys to come through. It would be a shame. That's always the challenge. Like, Amen. Well, I have to be honest. I'm not really sure I know how to do this anymore. We'll find out in a few minutes, I suppose. I feel a little bit like Thomas Jefferson and the play uh, Hamilton. Jefferson was off in France while so much was going off. And then he came back finally and he sang that song, if you remember. Well, what did I miss? Uh, I've missed a lot. Uh, from y'all. Y'all have been doing a lot of things when I have been gone. I should say a couple things about that. It wasn't a sabbatical. It just kind of took my comp time and put it uh, in one month for a needed break. Uh, The first week I just kind of spent time doing all the home repairs I haven't gotten to do over the last three years, painting ceilings, which is like purgatory. I just absolutely hate that. Uh, fixing leaky faucets and changing the innards of all the toilets that don't work and power washing everything I could find, including the cat who turned white after that. We didn't know the cat was white. And then we uh, took two girls to college, one to Samford and one to Alabama. And uh, I took my daughter to Alabama and still strangely found myself rooting for Texas yesterday. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I guess I'm paying too much money to Alabama to root for them. And then I took a, I did take a week, 10 pastors, and we went to uh, the UK for a week. These 10 pastors, actually 14 of us, only 10 could go, but 14 of us meet together once a week. We had some lectures and some stuff to do in Edinburgh. We met with church planners. We met with the Free Church of Scotland and tried to figure out if we could strike a deal on some partnerships between American church planning and UK church planning and uh, laughed and talked and cried and ate haggis and did all the things that you typically do in Scotland and uh, came back and I have a cold. I don't have COVID, so you can shake my hand if you want to, but I do have a very bad cold and apologize for my voice. So go back to the question, what do I miss? I'll tell you from my perspective, I miss you guys. Uh, I don't like being gone from here. Uh, I like hearing your voices. I like being part of your stories. I like this little gospel community that we have forming on the east side of Greenville where we're able to be honest We're able to share our sins and confess. We're able to see what God might do in our lives. We're able to dream and pray for each other and rejoice with each other and cry over each other. I miss that desperately. I miss hearing you sing. I miss seeing your faces, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be back. So Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we are today. If you've ever heard a sermon on Ezekiel, it's probably Ezekiel 1 or Ezekiel 37. These are familiar. That's why we chose them. Mark preached on Ezekiel 1 last week, and uh, I'll preach on Ezekiel 37 this week. And the context for Ezekiel is this. Uh, He's in exile. He's been taken away to Babylon, to a far-off region, and all hope is lost. If you look at verse 11, that's how he describes it. He says, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. This once united kingdom of Judah and Israel that was together in the land of Israel with Jerusalem as a center of worship, that once united kingdom now is divided and scattered. It'd be like if somebody took all of Mitchell Road and put us into Venezuela. 
a different language, different food, different culture. Some of us would be successful. Others would become slave labor. But everything would be lost. We wouldn't have any community anymore. We wouldn't meet with each other anymore. We would be scattered. We would be divided. And Ezekiel is doing all of this going, it's just a valley of dry bones. That's all I see. All hope is lost. I don't know if we'll ever get back to our land again. I don't know if everything will be whole again. I don't know if things will be right with the world again. All hope is lost. Maybe you feel that way in a room this size, no doubt. At least a couple dozen of you do. Your family's divided. Your job hasn't taken you to the place you thought it would. That, That marriage that you thought would make you feel alive and finally secure, you only feel more lonely. Uh, that one promotion you thought would solve all your problems, that financial victory that you thought would finally make you feel like you belonged. Maybe you struggle with identity or belonging anywhere. Maybe you have a prodigal kid. Maybe you have a sin that you just have not been able to kick and you feel like all hope is lost. I'm never going to defeat this in my life. I'm never going to get over it. I've made a complete wreck of my life. Well, there's good news for you this morning, and here it is. First point. God wants to know if you want life. God wants to know if you want life. Verses 1 through 6. The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out of the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there was very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said, prophesy over the bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause your flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and breathe life into you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God wants to know if you want life. The vision here, and it's a vision is the Spirit of God bringing Ezekiel to a field and saying, this is what Israel is like. Because of your disobedience, you are an absolute graveyard. There is no life in you. And so I've got one question for you. Can these bones live? Can they be brought back to life? And the phenomenal response is this, verse 3. Oh, Lord God, you know. In other words, that's only something that you know the answer to. And by implication, that's only something you can do. That's only something that you, God our Father, can put back together. Now, here's our problem, three of them. The first one is this. We get to that question, can these bones live? Can I have life again? And our first problem is this. We say, I can can put it back together. I can put my life back together. I can put my sin back together. I can somehow mitigate all of my problems. Look, just give me some time. I'll finally conquer it. I'll finally get over that. I can put it back together. And we try to, and all we have is a skeleton of bones. 
And then we try to animate our life like a puppeteer pulling all the strings and we dance for people to try to get them to like us. And we try to make enough money to feel secure. And we try to do all of these things to keep other people happy. But the problem is when you're trying to animate your own life, when you're pulling all the strings to perform for others, to put up a facade, to make sure everybody knows who you are, And when you stop doing that, you just go back to the skeleton. And that's why you're exhausted (laughs) in life. Because you keep trying to pull all the strings to give yourself life or to find life through something. One thing that will finally make sense and have your life finally come together. The job, the marriage, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the promotion, the matriculation, whatever it is. If we can just find that one special sauce to finally give me life in this just exhausting and so here they say oh lord you know if it can be put back together i don't know if it can the second problem here is we don't think that we're dead we often say well it's just not that bad i mean i know you're showing me a a valley of dry bones but there's still some pockets you can think of ezekiel saying this there's still some pockets where there's some life and some vitality i I don't know if it's dead. I don't know if it's just a valley of bones. That's a little bit harsh, isn't it, Jesus? Well, we do that all the time. I don't know if my sin is that bad. I I mean, I'm not doing the big ones. And the ones I'm struggling with, I'm keeping them tampered down. But if you're not a believer uh, and you're here, or you're not a believer in Christianity, maybe you're, you're not a follower of Christianity, the first thing that we say as Christians, and it's, it levels the playing field for everybody in this room and everybody in the world, is that we're dead in our sins and transgressions. That we can't put it back together. That we can't find a way to God. That there's not enough moralism that we could ever do that will tip the scales in favor of our sin against the holy God. That at the fundamental nature of our lives, we are dead in our sins of transgression and we need somebody to breathe life into us. And once that's true, and once that theological paradigm is established, then we can finally be honest with ourselves and with others about our lives. I told you I was in Scotland with a bunch of pastors. We meet once a year. We decided to meet in Scotland because one of them is from there. So we had free housing. We stayed at his parents' estate and uh, kind of traveled around from there. And we meet together every year in Nashville, typically, and we share and we confess and we challenge each other. Uh, it's good to confess your sins. I mean, it's good to do confession here privately. But you know, there's also something missing in Christianity. If you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. There's something to look in another guy or girl eye to eye and say, and this is my deal. This is who I am. So one night I confessed, we were up late and we were all confessing stuff to each other. And uh, I confessed a bunch of stuff to the guys and they received it and uh, preached the gospel to me and I preached the gospel to them and then I went to bed and I couldn't sleep because you know what I did I did what we all so often do I confessed it enough to where people understood the confession and what the struggle was but I still changed some of the details enough to where it made me look a, a little bit better than I actually was I'm sure y'all have never done this 
I'm sure it's just me, so let me tell you what happens. You, you, you share something, but then you leave other things out, and, and you try to mitigate the situation. So you've confessed it, but you've made yourself look kind of good while you've confessed it. Maybe you come back from a business meeting with a client or just a kind of a, a big meeting in your company, and you go home and you tell your husband or you tell your wife, they said this and this and this, but I said this, and you realize halfway through, you're kind of shading the details so you actually look good. Everything's kind of in your favor, although you're telling her that you got fired. Or, you know, you kind of come up with all the excuses for why you got cut from the soccer team, or you kind of come up with all these excuses and kind of mitigate. So the next day, I had to get with the guys and say, we got to do this again. I got to tell you the story. We got to rewind it because I want to sleep tonight. And the only way I can sleep tonight is I've, I give you a full confession. And you know what happened the next night? I got the same amount of grace extended to me as I did the first night. Because that's what the gospel does. We say we're, we're dead in our sins and transgressions. And when that happens, life can kind of come back in. Here's the third thing. We often say, look, I'll take it from here. I see this valley of dry bones, but we, well, I'll take it from here. I saw years ago, I think I just spotted somebody in the audience who I think was there with me. I'll have to chat with them later this week. But I was at Stacks Grill. That used to be where all the business guys would go in Greenville. It's now gone. But I was at Stacks Grill, and there's these two older ladies in a booth, and one of them did this hit the table and looked at the lady across and she was red in the face and I was like this is going to be awesome they're gonna they're gonna have an awful fight and I'm gonna get to watch this she was choking on her prime rib sandwich which I didn't know and she was panicked and so a guy went over there to try to get her out and she wouldn't get out because she was so panicked but she's choking she's red she's turning purple this guy finally pulls her out has clearly zero medical training because all he did was bear wrap her and then pull her off the ground and her legs are just spinning and you know she's like this god awful sound is coming out of her but no, nothing else is coming he got tapped out by this medical professional who like literally tapped that guy out then just real quick, no, I'm make sure I don't do that. I almost made myself throw up there. <laughs> just real quick, did it, and out comes the prime rib. You know what happens after that? She gets a free meal. All the restaurant goes quiet. I thought to myself, what did my mom say? Chew it a hundred times or a thousand times? I'll do a thousand one just to be safe. I chewed that chicken sandwich up so good, that meal. She thanked the person that saved her life and said, I'm fine. I'll take it from here. I don't need you anymore. The guy just saved her life. I don't, I'm not even sure they exchanged numbers. The guy literally saved her life. And so that's what we do with Christ so often. God, thanks for saving me from my sins. Thanks for getting me a ticket into heaven. Thanks for saving me from the pains of hell. I'll take it from here. Thank you very much. I'll take care of my finances from here. I'll take care of my relationships from here. Thank you for doing all the things you did. I don't need any more from you. I'll take it from here. And God says, no, they're, they're bones. There's no way you can live without me. So the first point is God wants to know if you want life. The second point is this. If so, the Son of Man will breathe it within you. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. 
and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones, the whole house of Israel, Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. They're indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open up the graves. I'll raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, I'll bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves. Oh, my people. And I'll put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So a couple things I want you to know is if he's going to do it, he does it through the Son of Man and through the breath of God. That's how he brings his spirit to us. This phrase, you see it in verse 9, and you see it in verse 11, is intentional. The Son of Man. It has always been the plan from the beginning of time for God, through the second person of the Trinity, Christ, to breathe his Holy Spirit into us, to conquer death, hell, and the grave forever, to bring us life. Now, there's a a very close connection between Ezekiel and the Gospel of John. You wouldn't know that unless you can read uh, Hebrew and Greek. But there's so many parts of the Gospel of John where John is reaching back to Ezekiel to help the readers understand who Christ actually is. For example, John chapter 5, verse 27. Speaking of Jesus... And he has given me authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. That phraseology is used here and it's used in Ezekiel. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And then further on, John says in John 16, Uh, records Jesus saying, it is for your good that I must go so that the Spirit can come. All through the Gospel of John, he's reaching back into this imagery in Ezekiel chapter 37 to say, this will explain to you who this God is, who Jesus is now, is to understand the terminology of Ezekiel chapter 37, which is John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full says Jesus. I have come to breathe life into you, to animate you with the Holy Spirit, to bring you alive, not just to put you together with the skin and the bones and the sinews and the cartilage, but to actually breathe Holy Spirit life into you so that you can finally and fully live. Ezekiel shot way too low. Ezekiel thought if you look at the rest of the chapter, and we won't do it today, but Ezekiel thought life would be if just Israel, Judah and Israel were established back as a nation in Jerusalem. But what God wanted to do 
was breathe out his spirit, his ruach, which is the Hebrew word pneuma in Greek, same word in Ezekiel 37 as in John, as in Acts, to breathe out his spirit and not just reestablish Israel and Judah, but by his spirit to reach the nations, every language, tongue, and tribe, and people. Now think about this. Think about Ezekiel on the shores of Babylon, simply dreaming that Israel would be put back together and out of exile when he could have never imagined that in just a couple thousand years, which is not that long, in just a couple thousand years, there'd be a group of people on the east side of Greenville in this place called America that he didn't even know existed halfway around the world who would meet together on a Sunday morning animated by the Holy Spirit meeting to worship the same God and the same Savior that Ezekiel was so longing for and worshiping himself. It's absolutely unbelievable if you think about what God has done to expand his kingdom through his spirit around the world. And if Ezekiel shot too low, we often shoot too low too. Most of us have no idea what God would actually do if we started living according to the spirit and allowing him to breathe life into us rather than trying to find life or joy or energy ourselves, appealing to him, walking in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, living the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, living those out, cultivating that land in our hearts, that land of love, that land of joy and love. You have no idea what God would do in your life. Be beautiful to watch. So what does it look like if you're animated by the Spirit? If the life breathes into you, well, three quick things. Number one, you have a shepherd prince. We have to look at the last paragraph of Ezekiel to see what it looks like when the Holy Spirit breathes life into us. First of all, verse 24, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. It goes on to say, they shall dwell in the land. I give to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. And their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. So it's this shepherd prince that we follow. If the Holy Spirit's breathed in you, you have this shepherd prince that you follow. When we were in uh, Scotland, there's one afternoon where they wanted to go to Glenmorgie, uh, it's scotch or whiskey or something like that. They wanted to do a tasting of the tour. And there was 10 of us, like I told you, and they had bought a ticket for me. I didn't want to go. I don't drink that stuff. And so they um, took my ticket and gave it to a church planner. I was like, that's great. I've got no interest in going. What I want to do, we're in the highlands of Scotland. I want to go for a walk. So I'm going to go walk out in the country while y'all go do that. And they were like, great. And I was basically tired of seeing them by that point. So I went for like a a two and a half hour walk by myself through the fields of Scotland on a dirt road. And it was glorious, much better than seeing a distillery. And uh, I was about an hour out and I came around this bend and I saw this guy standing in the middle of the road looking at me. I thought, oh boy, here we go. 
who's going to throw the first punch. He had this long, tangly hair, missing a couple of teeth, tattered clothes, just looked like he came out of nowhere and looked like he didn't belong at all. But it's a dirt road. I can't like just turn around. I mean, that'd be so awkward. So I just kept going. I put my head down. I got a little closer to him. You get to that point where you have to eventually make eye contact. I looked up, made eye contact just to see what he's doing. He said, good morning. And I thought the best way to get out of this situation, because I don't know what situation I'm in, but I got to get out of it. I said, the best way to get out of it is just to pretend like I'm Scottish. So he said, good morning. And I said, aye. And he said, what part of the States are you from? I was like, oh God, like, how did you know? You know, I just look like I'm from the States, I'm sure. Uh, I said, South Carolina. And then he said, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And I said, it is. And he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, our God is in the heavens. And I said, and he does whatever he pleases which is the end of that verse in Psalm 115.3, which is what he quoted. First verse I ever memorized, only because it was short. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm a shepherd. I've got to move these sheep from this pasture to this pasture. I said, is that easy? He said, it is if I provoke them. But there's a not enough grass over, them for there, over there for them and they don't know it. So I have to move him over here so they have something to eat. I'm a farmer. I farm all these lands. I was like, oh, that is so interesting because it says in verse 24, the king over them shall be their shepherd and they will walk in their rules and be careful to obey the statutes. When the Holy Spirit is in you, when the Spirit breathes life into you, it actually makes you obedient out of joy not out of obligation because you realize john 10 to quote it again jesus says i've come that you might have life and i've given you rules and i'm actually trying to take you to the pastures of life that will fulfill you and that pasture of lust of gossip of envy of greed of self-absorption of selfishness is dried up And you're going to slowly, slowly not have anything to eat. But if you just walk according to my statutes, I'll take you to this pasture. And so friends, let me ask, by the Holy Spirit, where is it you need to be obedient? What's the still small spirit saying to you? Hey, I need you to trust me that what I say in my word about these things are true and are right. The second thing is you'll have peace. Here it says in verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. I've already told you the gospel of John is connected with Ezekiel. Let me read one more passage from John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day, this is after the resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, first words after the resurrection, peace. The world so desperately needs peace. And when he said this, he showed his hands in his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even I'm sending you. Then he said this, he breathed 
on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Surely, John is thinking of Ezekiel. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's forgiven. In other words, here's peace. Go and forgive because I've forgiven you. Your full confession. Everything you've said, haven't said, I've forgiven you so you can live at peace with me. So now go forgive others. The queen who passed, I don't know if you've listened to any of her messages from her Christmas, but they're all great. Her 2011 Christmas message said this, although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that sometimes we need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent us a unique person, not a philosopher or a general, important though they are, but a savior. He sent a savior who has the power to forgive. And so friends, who do you need to forgive? Why can you forgive? Not because you have it within you, but because the Holy Spirit is in you. It's the Spirit that allows you to forgive. It's the Holy Spirit living in you that allows you to say peace and to let go of that bitterness, that thing you're hanging over somebody's head, even though they've asked for forgiveness. It's the peace of God and the Holy Spirit that allows you to extend the same forgiveness to others that God has extended to you. You probably heard that story of the queen. It's my favorite one. She was dressed up in all of her... um, Regalia. She was going to go into Parliament, which as she does once a year, and uh, she was on there with a in the elevator with an aide coming up from the bottom floor, and they pre- he pressed the wrong floor for Parliament, and so the doors open and it's the maintenance floor, and in walks uh, Alice. She has a broom and a bucket, and she's not paying any attention. The door's open. She's just trying to go clean some bathroom stall, and she walks in and immediately turns around, and the doors close. And she looks, and there's the queen sitting right there with everything. She somehow didn't notice. And then they went back down the floor to where Parliament was. The doors open. It's Parliament. The queen grabs her arm and says, you're going to process in with me. And took in the cleaning maid with her into Parliament. And then every year after that, on the eve of that ceremony, she would invite Alice to the palace to have high tea with her to find out how she was doing. If you can't find a gospel illustration out of that, you probably shouldn't preach. But it's even better because our God comes not dressed in regalia. Our God comes dressed as a servant. He comes dressed as Alice. He comes with a towel around him to say, I've come to serve you, to bring you peace. I've come to take care of all of your sins. I've come to intercede for you. And I've come, most importantly, to breathe my Holy Spirit into you. And I don't think that Christians remember or often believe that because of that, you're a new creation. You're an absolute new creation. And you get to live that way. And you get to live with his presence. So very quickly, verse 27, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's the presence of God. A friend of mine from Redeemer, New York City, told me this story since today's 9-11. That one of his staff members was above, in the trade towers, above where the planes hit. 
Just let that sit for a second. So saw the planes coming in, hitting below them in the tower. Everybody's running towards the stairwell. And she hears the Holy Spirit say, go the other way. And so she pressed, everybody's coming this way. And she's fighting through it, fighting through it. And she went all the way across the building. Those were not small buildings. All the way across the building where nobody else was going. But it was the only stairwell open of the four. Everybody that went down, the other three died. And she made it down. And now she's on staff with Redeemer. And that's so often the presence of the Holy Spirit who whispers to us, I know it doesn't make sense. I know it looks like everybody's charging that way your mind go the other way it's the presence of christ that can be with you this week as my dear friend george robertson who i've been praying for all week he did the uh funeral for liza fletcher the girl who was kidnapped and she goes to a good friend of mine's church in memphis uh and so i've been caring for them all week on the phone and on text the very first thing he said at the funeral yesterday, which you can watch online, is as Christians, we believe that God is present here. He's present in your grief. He's present in your cancer. He's present in the tragedy. Our God actually shows up and is present. Because some poor soul had to knock on the Fletcher's door and say, your daughter, who you thought, your wife, your mom, who you thought was alive, is now dead. But as Christians, here's the beauty of the gospel. We get to knock on doors and say, you who are dead can become alive by the Holy Spirit. And so friends, let's live that way. Where you need God to breathe life into you, to give you peace, to give you obedience to him, and to be your presence. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. God, we pray now that we would live this week as Christians walking according to your spirit asking for you to breathe life into us obedience to what you want us to do extending peace and forgiveness to others and in small ways I ask that you would with this congregation this week show us signs of your presence that your spirit would testify with our spirit that we're your kids. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.